Hello and welcome to the Permaculture Vine podcast. Today we'd like to welcome Amy Amy Fennec to the podcast and we're also joined by co-host, uh, our Chief Permaculture Officer, Colleen. Lovely hey. to meet you both. Thank you for the welcome. Uh, Amy, thanks very much for uh, agreeing to join us today. Uh, looking forward to hearing about your work. Uh, would you really give us a quick introduction first? Oh gosh, sure. <laughs> Do stop me if I'm running away with myself because I could talk for hours. So my, <laughs> as you said, my name is Amy. I'm originally from Malta. Um, my professional background used to be in financial administration and wealth management. So it's very much different from the permaculture, uh, the whole permaculture team. And that was very cathartic when I switched careers basically i moved out of financial management and wealth management into more ethical um, ways of living and being and this is where permaculture really helped me come to this i've been teaching permaculture for the last um, 10 almost 10 years i've run uh, eco projects one one in an eco village in germany and now i'm running a regenerative agriculture project in the south of spain and I'm very active in the international permaculture movement uh, through the permaculture collab, which we can talk a little bit about further on as well. Does that serve as a good introduction? Yes. Super. Uh, that's perfect. It gives us a good outline to go. Uh, so we, if we could go right back to your time in finance, and you, you mentioned you moved towards a more ethical, uh, ethical career. Could you tell us about that journey and how you felt with finance and then what what? So how you ended up making that transition? Gosh, yes. I'll try to be brief. <laughs> <laughs> so I was dealing with uh, this kind of wealth management, which was very large. So um, just to give you an idea, 1 million was a minimum investment within this company I was working for. So I was working very hard uh, to facilitate the saving of tax um, and uh, to increase the private wealth. And uh, at the same time, I was seeing that, how does that fit in within my life, right? So in real life, I was volunteering at the homeless shelter. I was teaching children a little bit private lessons to cope with their struggles. And I was seeing my colleagues who were sometimes really left behind. You know, we were we we were all in this together to work to increase this private wealth, but our wealth wasn't increasing because we were basically just little people, right? To make that happen, um, I I would say that um, one particular incident really sh shook me. I was in the office one day, and this person came in with a branded bag and put the bag put the bag on the floor, and this was like I don't know what cost more than my yearly salary at the time and everyone was like oh look she's putting the bag on the floor and i'm like uh, <laughs> okay and this person said i've just recently been to the greek uh, to the greek islands and i was horrified that uh, there were refugees there was some boat of some refugees coming in and they had to swim some of the way and the people who were on a cruise liner, very posh and very expensive boat, were horrified that they had to see that while they were on holiday. I was completely disgusted by this. It's like a really complete offhand, out, com, out, it's just outrageous. Not only that you have no regard for human life, but that it's ruined your holiday, like seriously. So 
I think the upshot of it to cut, uh, there were other stories, obviously, this is one was not a one-off event. Um, but I started to uh, have mental health issues because I couldn't marry the reality that I was living at work and what I was doing with my time and what I was seeing on the other on the other hand, you know, especially I was working in on the south coast of Spain the, at, at the time. So you see a lot this dichotomy between um, extreme wealth and extreme poverty because poverty in Spain is very high. 25% of people in this region where I was working was with unemployed and there are homeless people begging on the street outside the supermarket and then you go and meet these people who are horrified to see refugees on a boat, right? So I would say that's that was my biggest push. Like I don't think that I could have continued to work even if I wanted to. I was at a point where my morality was not allowing me to do that and my body was feeling the effect of the trauma. Um, and at the same time, it was a really time of great opportunity because I was in a position, the company had put me in a three bedroom house by myself. I had a car, I had the money, I could travel. And in the south of Spain, there's a lot of alternative communities. And I started hosting on Couchsurfing. And this is where I met a lot of people who were into um, eco-villages, the gen network. Um, perm they, they were into permaculture. There was also a very eclectic alternative life that I was only very barely aware of at that, at that time. So by opening this company provided house to strangers, basically, it enabled me to transition into then moving to the co-community in Germany at the time. I'm not sure if that's a lot of detail <laughs> or not enough. Detail, I don't know. It was cathartic. It was a cathartic three years of my life, which I mean, looking back, it seems like a lifetime ago now, but uh, without that, maybe I would still be in a kind of position where I'm not happy, but I don't know what's not making me happy. Whereas now I can say I've been through the experience. Uh, I have experienced um, both what it's to be privileged and what's to be poor, because then I obviously, after I moved out of that job, I had to recreate myself almost from scratch. I couldn't use those skills for a, there is no such thing as an ethical financial or wealth management service that doesn't exist. <laughs> so I had to reinvent myself and try to be happy while doing so. Yeah, no, that's great because it, it it puts a perspective of uh, it, it. It's not easy to change your life around. It's like an oil tanker. It takes a while. So like you had three years of people surfing on your couch, still working there. So you knew you wanted to leave, but you can't just walk out the door. So you have to figure it out. So that's, that's, that's very important. So if, so you went, right, so you took, uh, so then you moved to the Eco Village in Germany. So that's right. what advice would you have for someone making that transition from sort of corporate career to moving to an eco village within three years? Is there things you <laughs> wish you could have done that sped that up or slowed it? Uh, did, did you make any mistakes? Do you advise someone who who wanted to make it the, that transition? Oh gosh, I made a lot of mistakes. Obviously, I had no idea. Uh, but uh, I think uh, advice is to have some financial cushion. So I was lucky in that I could save up from this nice job before in order to go into a period of, of my life where I maybe couldn't find a new job. Also, I was moving to a country where I didn't know the language. So, and unemployment rates in that area where I was living in the Brandenburg area are very high. 
if you're not a German speaker, it was almost out of the question that you would find employment. In fact, it took forever to do that. So I would say pick a country where you know the language, uh, you can better integrate if you or put in the time and effort to learn the language first, have some financial autonomy so that you are in a position where where your living situation is not safe, you can leave. Eco-villages are not places for saints, they're places for people. And there will be people who are not nice and people who are nice. And there's toxic uh, policies and there's <laughs> nice policies. And I must say it was, uh, I spent there five years and there were lots of, of issues also within the community itself. So we were in kind of a fresh community. So we had to figure out how do we make decisions together um, how and we were all coming from other industries and in a more capitalized capitalistic type thinking and that's really hard to transition out of that you're dealing with your own crap you're dealing with other people's crap <laughs> so I think the best advice would be to be ready to be in in flux and and not to have anything fixed so don't have it in your mind like okay I've arrived here and now I will die here for the rest of my life I'll stay here right no if it doesn't serve you you have to be willing to let it go as well I think and that's very important so five so, five years in the eco village is that when you started uh is that was that your introduction to permaculture and then starting to practice um no I had done the course to per with permaculture before I moved so during those three years I had already done uh, two PDCs I did a teacher training because I'm the kind of person who comes from the the academic side, right? So I wanted my my idea of becoming proficient in something is to do a course and to excel at it. So and if there's a pro yeah, no, <laughs> so tell my, the education was fine, but the practical, obviously, in the eco village, then you get to apply what you learn. So let's and this take, was really revolutionary. Let's, uh, so let's take it then. Tell us about the two PDCs and your teacher training. <laughs> uh, I did I did the first PCC with the University of Oregon, which was at the time a free offering uh, with Andrew Millison. He's a really great guy. Um, and that was really instructional and completely changed the way I thought about the world. Like, okay, maybe I'm becoming a quote unquote hippie. And this is coming from a person who wore stilettos to work and stuff. So... It was a very like interesting um, perspective of, okay, maybe this is why I don't feel happy. And if I integrate these kind of permaculture lessons to my life, how, how do I want my life to look like and what social design can I apply? So this was the, really the big seed and it was a full PDC, so 72 hours of that. And uh, in my back garden, so at, after the first PDC, in the back garden in the house in Spain, which the company was renting for me, uh, I started um, a uh, permaculture project and basically we had people coming at the weekend for workshops and we had companion planting and we had a little compost bin. I mean, this was a really small garden, maybe, I don't know, 30 square meter or 40 square meter. And a lot was done to it. So when I left it, the landlord was like, wow, what have you done here? <laughs> it was really something inconceivable to him because he'd left it full of rubbish and it was very abundant so through that i had already started transitioning with the first pdc then the second pdc was an in-person one i traveled to um to the uk to do it with arania and claudia van gogh they do a permaculture design course 
in uh, the south of England. And now I don't remember the place exactly what it's called because I'm on the spot. But I definitely recommend it. Aranya wrote a book about permaculture design. I very much recommend it. It was my first permaculture book purchase. It's very technical. It's not, it's not a social permaculture design book. And then from there, it started building. My permaculture library became bigger. I became more interested in various aspects of it. And uh, I took the teacher training online, I think a bit later on. Maybe I was already in Germany by then. And I did it online at the beginning of the pandemic. And that was with uh, Graham Bell, who is now deceased, and um, Rakesh. It was a really good, really good teacher training course. And since then, I'm a member of the Permaculture Association of Britain. So this is where I'm doing my permaculture diploma so I can issue certificates for the courses that I run. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, I looked under that diploma. Would you uh, recommend taking it? I think it depends where you are in the world. So the British Permaculture Association have their diploma, but other countries have theirs. So if you're based in uh, Spain, then you can take one with the Spanish people. If you're based in other places in the world, I recommend al always looking at your context and pick the one that's best for your context. In my context, I even though I'd been in Spain, my language skills weren't up to par to, to do a kind of qualification in Spanish. But after I finish this one with the pub, I think I might do the Spanish one as well because I want to be more integrated in the local Spanish association as well. So, but that's a personal preference. I think if you're interested in furthering your permaculture journey. Hindsight that your expertise and also your, your, your life path affords you right now. Is there something that you look back onto and say, not necessarily about your mistakes, but is there something maybe a system maybe something that could need uh, like mentoring you're mentioning mentoring do you think there was there could be something that could be developed in 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 present time so that other people who are taking the this path what would you like to see more of to kind of help people in, in general uh, yeah, it's an interesting question. Uh, I remember this was a kind of service we offered people who wanted to start their own communities. So it was like an open invitation for people who had questions about starting up, what to look out for and to avoid some mistakes, but everyone has to make their own mistakes. Ultimately, this is what I believe <laughs> we have to learn from our mistakes, but for sure you can avoid costly mistakes like financial mistakes and also hurtful mistakes if you're not, you know, if, you have don't have a discrimination policy or a code of conduct you know you could avoid uh, people getting hurt or being um on the receiving end of some something that's very unpleasant uh, i would say on a personal basis i'm always open to mentor other people if i see that they're interested in it it's not a service i offer for payment and it's more of a something that maybe what I'm getting to, and it's just, uh, I'm, pro I'm thinking out loud here, is that what I'd like to see more of is mutual support. So we don't really need to be experts in 
on have all the answers, but in listening to what people are going through and trying to figure out figure that out, not trying to get to solutions, but trying to clarify for oneself and for even themselves, then I think most people are able to come to that conclusion themselves of what is the best thing to do for themselves because everyone's context is going to be different. So that's a kind of individual help. And then for a more systemic help, I there are so many tools. Uh, how to organize uh, in person, how to organize remotely, soft skills. Um, I'm a big believer in policies. So if we have a set kind of book, which we can go to, to anchor us into what we have shared values and how we are to, you know, how, how we are to behave with our, between ourselves, what's acceptable, what's not acceptable, then it's easier later on to say, okay, this has happened and it doesn't seem to reflect what we have agreed before. Should we change that or why is this happening? You know, to be always curious and be in curiosity before you get angry. No, because <laughs> often what happens is like people, I don't know, they criticize you or critique something or do something which co goes completely, which seems to go completely against what the ethos is and then the first reaction is a knee-jerk reaction, like like that person, right? When they were complaining about the refugees in the sea. My reaction was to walk away from the person I, I had and I refused to deal with them. But actually the right approach would have been maybe to be more curious about why they are saying this. Like, is this really <laughs> what emotions, where is that coming from? Whereas I wasn't able to process that. And I think it happens a lot uh, in communities and that we're too quick we're our emotion is too quick and then we're not able to stay in curiosity in order to clarify where that comes from and deal with the underlying issues that it may be causing it yeah and i think too that uh the policies that you have if you have your policies in your place and, and, and they're quite clear somebody else could have slightly different policies and you, and you find a place that suits you and so I think it's good that people have them things up front so it, it, it actually it, it can help make things work better. Um, it sets the scene, right? Yeah, it sets the scene. And if you like it, you, <laughs> yeah, you stay. If you don't, that's that's the way it is. Just uh, so so then you're, if we move now to Germany, the Eco Village, you're, you're there for five years. That's right. And how, how was that experience? That, that was an interesting experience. I, I hadn't done anything similar before. So I was, my role included managing the volunteers, uh, allocating the work, um, making sure we, we are process, you know, we have enough money, um, uh, designing the gardens and the food and the food garden we had there running workshops. And we even managed to open a retreat. The, I mean, just before the pandemic, it was ready to open, but anyway. <laughs> That's it's just that's just what happens, isn't it? So that was an interesting experience. I met a ton of people. I also um, I think I had a lot to learn uh, of letting go of old paradigms. Um, for example, uh, the gift economy for me was a complete bafflement of like, what is this? Why? <laughs> there was a lot of fear attached with money, like for giving it away or not giving something away or pricing things 
flexible and what would happen. So because the mode I was used to was different, right? It's like uh, we were definitely pricing our stuff before. And then when we moved to the eco-village, other people were like, oh, no, babe, we could do it by donation and so on. And that's all well and good. But if your livelihood is depending on it, there's a lot of fear uh, around that because maybe you don't make enough money and you spend three days working on an event or on something and you can't even buy a sandwich from this event. And that's the reality of, of things. So it was a really big, steep learning curve for me to try and balance out how to price and how not to price people out uh, if they can't pay. And I think this has really helped me now also as I run workshops and so on to draw the line at what is paid work and what's something I'm doing for fun. And if I'm doing for something for fun, that is not really a paid work thing, then it's okay for me to give everything away. And if I'm doing a paid work thing, I can subdivide that into, okay, my client can pay a high rate. My client can pay a medium rate. My client can't pay. Then I can decide, okay, I have this month enough to eat. Then I can decide I do this for fun with less money or not at all because I don't have time. And uh, balancing the, the my personal boundaries, like how much time am I wanting to work in order to stay healthy in my mind and my body, and also how much I want to give uh, to the projects I'm working with. The other thing is it taught me was that I can have standards. I can I don't need to work for the devil to make money. And that was really a big lesson. So I retrained. I also do web development. So all my web development clients are um, permaculture projects or aligned projects. I do project management and financial administration, all for charities or associations. And I make enough money to eat. So for me, that was a huge lesson that no, I don't want, I don't need to work for an immoral organization in order to have a right livelihood. But it took me the best of, I don't know, the first three years was really a struggle. <laughs> really a struggle. Yeah, it's and I learned, I learned how to speak German and I ran an organic shop with a community, in a community organic shop. And that was a huge yeah. achievement for me because I went from not speaking a word in German to running a business, which was paying, it had employees. It, I was like, wow, I don't know. It must be some superpower that I drank one day in a tea or something. But I don't know how I did that, but I did it. Uh, it was really incredible. <laughs> yeah, so so that's almost like a second part of your transformation. She transformed from, took three years to get actually to the eco-village and then another transition from learning how to manage your finances, run a business, speak German and, and, and deal with that. So it's sort of, and it, it's funny, I think it's a good example too to tell the, the sherry people is that you're doing web development. So there's a supplementary income, but you're doing it for a permaculture project, which is really good. So there's other ways to earn money in permaculture apart from... Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, and the, the International Permaculture Collab really offers that space. So within the permaculture, within the International Permaculture Collab, there are teams of freelancers who offer services to the permaculture movement and permaculture aligned company. So if you are a web developer or a web designer, if you are a project manager, if you facilitate workshops, there is that kind of structure which welcomes these self-organized freelance groups in order to make a livelihood that's uh, ethically 
permaculture aligned, right? Which is what we want to see. Yeah, I, I love the the vulnerability that you bring to the discussion in that you name your your own limits, your own fears, and also the fact that you struggled with some of these notions because it, it helps us move away from a picture perfect uh, world or way of functioning. Permaculture, like Graham Bell used to say this, and I, my conversations with him uh, helped me bring light. It, permaculture is not a, it's not a, it's not a destination. It's a direction. So we, we struggle sometimes with certain things that we call permaculture. And you, you were talking before about you know policies and everything. So again, thank you for your vulnerability. And uh, there was also something that I wanted to to ask about this. It's going to sound general, but I very much appreciated the fact that you went with the flow, that you were in a position to you know to see your own limits and to think maybe you're not going to be able to do this, but then the flow of uh, you know circumstances and opportunities and needs, and this is something that. I kind of mirror, I kind of, at least, at the very least, it's my own association uh, with the gift economy where what's important is that resources are in flow. Sometimes yes. there's more resources and it's not a question of, uh, again, I'm setting my opinion, I'm not making it into, into a dogma, but I think there's no need to have a separation between formal economy and uh, the gift economy all over the world we can find the solutions that work and but again what i see in common that they both have is the need for flow so uh yeah thank you for for bringing that forth is like seeing seeing things from this lens uh i'm gonna ask maybe a very similar question as the one that I asked earlier. What else would you like to be in flow? Is there anything else that you'd like to see in flow? You mentioned, I, I, I love the first answer, but is there something that you'd like to add? Well, I, I don't know, really. Uh, what I have experienced here in Spain is that uh, even though a lot of people aren't necessarily doing permaculture or labeling anything they do as permaculture, I see a lot of traditional and ethical mutual aid practices here and they don't call it permaculture it's just being a good neighbor so i would like to see some of that come back uh, you know that we are able to have a discussion with the neighbor and if we need some equipment or something we share it uh, i i see that going away a little bit in in places where life is more busy i live in the middle of nowhere now so we're all in it together uh, we had a really interesting experience last year uh, I don't know if you know but in the south of Spain there's a really big drought and in my area there was a really big fire which was probably arson and it burned like 600 hectares it was a huge fire and we my husband who was here at the time I was traveling he said he could see the fire coming and I and he, we were he was ready with with the dogs and the bags ready packed to start walking towards the village so I called him, he said, I'm ready to evacuate. I called my neighbor and I said, listen, Anton is uh, frightened like of the fire because if he's trapped there, the only way out is maybe possibly blocked. And he said, don't worry, I'll go and get him. 
and this is uh, something that we can rely on. You know, we are not living individually. No permaculture project exists in a vacuum. We have to exist in the world <laughs> as we know it, whether that's permaculture or not permaculture, or if people are embracing that label or not. But I don't think we will get any way in, in this world where we are seeing uh, collapse coming uh, with the climate emergency. We're not going to get anywhere if we don't have mutual support. So that's what I would like to see more of, I guess. So if we take now from uh, leaving Germany, where, where's after Germany? So I left, I left Germany in August of not last year, the year before. And I made my way across Europe and I landed here. And I really liked this area in Spain, so I knew this before. I knew this area before I came. And um, yeah, I wasn't a little bit, I, I wasn't sure. I, I, I wasn't really sure about what's happening exactly. So we were uh, we were thinking, okay, what to do now? And should we try to join another community? Should we buy a place? Should we join an existing project? Or what should we do? And that was a period of not knowing. So we had a little bit of a permaculture design between us as to, okay, what does everyone want to do? Where do we want to be? Identify the elements that all need to come together to make sense of this. And we landed here on this really nice looking conventional farm that started, it was when we first got here. We were lucky in that we could afford it <laughs> without taking any loans. So that was really good. And uh, we were also lucky that the owner was not looking to just sell for money. He wanted to have a relationship with us. And this was evident from the beginning when, when we met him. So he's really like a second father. I have never met a guy like him before. He's super supportive. If anything happens here, he's the first person I call. And we made a very unusual agreement um, I remember when I told this agreement idea to the lawyer who we were using for the purchase, he said, uh, you're crazy. He's never, he's never going to agree. And the idea was that we live here for a year while not paying any rent so that he could fix uh, irregularities with the building to legalize the building because I, we, we wanted to have assurances that we could never be evicted from this building just because it doesn't have a permit right to exist. In Spain, it's very common to build without permits, especially for Spanish people, just go ahead and build whatever. But of obviously coming in from a different country, this wasn't the way we're used to doing things, right? So we wanted him to legalize this. And miraculously, he agreed. And so I remember having this conversation with him and I'm like, okay, what do you think about this happening? And, and so I also said to him, what do you think about me working with you during this year to see exactly how this is done? Because we're new to this. The, the climate is new to me. I had never done farming on such a large scale. It's four hectares of mixed between olive and almond. Uh, we have irrigated parts, not irrigated parts, fruit trees. Uh, my little mandala garden in Germany is a dwarf <laughs> called Ida. And Germany is a very different climate. It was like raining all the time. Here is like a huge water shortage. So the learning curve was very steep, but I had a very willing teacher. So for this, I am incredibly grateful that uh, he sticks around and really helps. 
And uh, we also were lucky in that we had here already some contacts, so I could dip into my past contacts in the, here in the south of Spain with the alternative communities I had met before moving to Germany. And they could basically reintroduce me to, to, the, to the Spanish here community. And I became a part of an artist association, which I do a little bit for fun. And um, yeah, and we, the first, we had organized a party for the first harvest. So people came together and we had like a shared business agreement, whereas we could, we would split the proceeds from this first harvest. And it was all a test because it was my first olive harvest there, their first. <laughs> we had to find a market for this oil would we produce it. So that was a really exciting and interesting process. And now I have friendships for life. So we continue to working together, not only because, I mean, from that pers from one perspective, the land is privately owned, but from another perspective, the land, we're working the land with other people with the, on a shared income basis, not that we're accumulating wealth just, just for that. You, you named something that I find very important uh, about the path maybe from reality or needs or sometimes it's regulations and you, you mentioned earlier that your first permaculture t um, training was with andrew Middleson. it took me back to what's somebody else in the us not necessarily close by but somebody who's quite an important figure i don't know if you're familiar with him brad lancaster mm -hmm. and he's doing community work and he's stretching the limits of what would be like allowable it's not yes. necessarily building without a permit but it's it's about making uh making sense of reality and he, he coined a term he called pre-legal he talks about his community work and what they have to do to to kind of to improve on their reality i think um there's there's two sides of the difficulties that we sometimes encounter, maybe in permaculture, uh, about the ethical, what is permaculture, what is not yes. permaculture, so where we should be. And then there's the whole questions about, okay, what is legal, what is allowed in this area? And, you know, we could go in any other direction, maybe like uh, doing compost or having chicken in the, in the city or using machines or it's bits and pieces, but I think you, you brought something into into the discussion that I find very valuable that we're not going to find a reality that is perfect. Maybe not. it might not suit, you know, uh, the legal uh, or what is recommended in the area. And again, I'm, I'm naming the fact that I find your work interesting and valuable because you're also setting an example to other people. Again, I mentioned Andrew Madison. I mentioned Brad Lancaster, and they're doing not just permaculture work, but also working with the community. So that links to what you just mentioned as an answer to my second question. And it, it, it boils down to communication and understanding the reality. And I think it gave us and, and, uh, and the people who might be listening very important tools to work with is that it doesn't necessarily have to be a, a like a, a set path of okay you buy the property you decide everything that that happens on the property we need to find ways to transition from what is and maybe it doesn't suit our needs currently 
and you know try to make try to work with reality in, in that's what i brought yes. it, it down to there are other options too so for example we could have chosen to rent a property instead of buying it and uh, testing out that kind of setup you know to start again a community and maybe people join and then when we really started talking to the local people, it became evident that an unintentional community would work better in this context. And that was different from what we had done in Germany, right? Because the German one was very intentional. You have to apply to join. There's a waiting period to become, whereas the unintentional was more about actual doing, being in relationship. And I found that pretty, pretty refreshing. I'm not saying that one is wrong and the other one's right. It's just a different way of being. And like you're saying, there's not really one way to achieve a good result. So depending really on your context, uh, not everyone, I, I acknowledge not everyone is privileged enough to have money to buy a property without a loan. This is another, that was another big thing. And, um, I mean, land in Spain is relatively cheap, but that beca that becomes <laughs> relatively depends on where you are on the spectrum of uh, financial independence, right? So I think there's, at least in this area, there's opportunities for all sorts of uh, options in terms of land access, because there's so much of it. And I have come across a very interesting land access model, which is not advertised here in Spain, but it's very much a reality where people offer to uh, harvest or farm your land while you still own it and they give you a share of the of the pro proceeds so farming is not done by the owner necessarily but uh, everyone can work together to get that work done and still everyone benefits at least in some point um, uh, from doing that work there's lots of markets uh, lots of exchange markets and festivals and uh, there's a bit of everything for everybody, I would say. Yeah, I think that's great, great that you bring your perspective from intentional and unintentional. Um, so then how does the how do you get involved in, in the Ecolab? How, how does that come about? Uh, how does your involvement in that start? So, yes. And so originally this, uh, this um, project in Germany and the one I was starting in Spain before I came back, um, that started uh, something called Eco Hacker Farm. So Eco Hacker Farm was like an umbrella kind of organization. It was It's not legally uh, registered anywhere. It's just like an umbrella idea where people could come and uh, talk about their intentions of starting an Eco Hacker Farm. What we mean by Eco Hacker Farm is basically a place where you practice permaculture and try not to solve the same problem twice. So this is where the hacking comes from. It's not a hacking into computer systems as is normally associated with. I get a lot of emails about that, funny enough. And obviously the farm bit is like, not also, also doesn't have to be a farm farm, but it can be where something is produced, not necessarily produced in the land, but it can be a other product, like it could be an online community, for example. And within that, we had appropriate technology, um, projects and uh, open source software development and within whilst the Spanish project was ongoing there was events in Spain and there was events in Germany and then when I moved to Germany there was obviously only events in Germany and events online now with this new farm we're doing also we're starting back events and so on so that was that part 
And while I was basically spending all my savings <laughs> in Germany, right? Because I was living on nothing. And uh, I, I wasn't very happy with that, to be honest. I wanted to be financially independent. And you don't really, uh, I think I didn't appreciate how much I needed to be financially independent until I ran out of money. When I ran out of money and I had already done the course, um, I met someone called Gemma. And Gemma is the education officer at the Permaculture Association in Britain. And she said to me, her partner, which was Yuan, Yuan Findlay, I mentioned him by name. Um, he was part of the International Permaculture Collab and he said they wanted, they were onboarding people to join the Digital Circle. Now, the Digital Circle is a freelance group which provides Digital Circle services to the permaculture community. That's including Word, WordPress sites, marketing, um, and other digital services, um, all sorts, really. Now we have expanded into all kinds of software, including project management software, Miro boards and things like this. And uh, he was at the time, the only technical person on the team. So because I had already started training myself on this web development and I had two clients, <laughs> I remember they were paying <laughs> really at the beginning of my, like um, I was telling my partner, there's no way I can make a living with two clients that barely pay anything. He said, well, you have to start somewhere, right? And uh, when I joined the Digital Circle, then there was, there opened up more opportunities because I had clients from the Digital Circle and the International Permaculture Collab was in that moment just starting a funding period. So they had received funding to improve and increase the reach of the Collab itself. So I made a grant application to improve some aspects of this. And this is how my kind of freelancing started within this. And as I spent more and more time in the collab, it became my kind of central space where I do my professional work. And right now I'm project managing the next funded, funded project, uh, which started this year and will continue for the next three years. And the idea is again, to continue improving on the collab. And we have around over 20 projects that are funded. So there's a lot of teams uh, that are dealing with uh, different aspects of work, such as research and development um there's there was recently an emergent festival which sought to fund small ideas on how to break more or expand more the international permaculture movement and this will continue as i said for the next year so this is where i make my living uh, between project management web development and uh, <laughs> different dealings in the various uh, freelance areas it gave me an outlet and a space to be myself, to, to do meaningful work that was important, that felt important to me. But also it gave me a, a place where I could earn a living. It's not, it's nothing like I used to make in finance. Let's put that very clear. This is no utopia. There's always less money than what we need, even from the grant the funding. But at least it's something and it opens up a whole um, opportunity network, right? So, for example, the course that we're working with, um, that we were working with for Gram that came also from there, kind of networking type um, aspect of it. Uh, and by time, with time, we I also got involved in other networks such as the Global Regeneration Collab and the Greater Dan.
So there's always good opportunities when you start becoming more and more active in those spaces. Yeah, no, I, I just wanted to, to name that we, we want those references to put it put them in the in the in the description of the video so that other people can well basically find you and find other opportunities and this is the core of of our work here with the podcast and with other things that we're doing at at Vine Permaculture we're trying to link to other uh let's say similar projects to see where we can find help and to contribute to this uh, yeah, ethical network, I can't, ethical networks in, in plural that need to uh, build and, and, and develop. So yeah, we'll, we'll take your, your references and uh, Cormac, you wanted to, to Yeah, I, was, I just want, so the collab, is that open to anyone? Do you have to apply for it or can you just sign up and participate? So yeah, so the focus of the collab is to is to encourage collaboration. So anyone who has time and capacity to call and interest to collaborate in in those terms, then yes, they people can sign up on the website. It's perma.earth, and they can sign up there to become a collaborator. And then they have access to the Slack workspace. And within the Slack workspace, people can explore which channels are interesting to them. Where do they want to get involved? I mean, it's not all paid work, obviously. It starts also with a lot, sometimes a lot of volunteering or doing what needs doing until you become more established in the network. But occasionally there's also paid opportunities there for people to, to get involved in. And one interesting channel that is there, especially for people who are looking for work, is some a channel called Nice Jobs. And this is a channel I started when I was looking for work <laughs> and I've been, I've been keeping up with it. So I post there uh, lots of links to ethical work, which people can apply for um, across the different uh, um, teams of work, let's say. So yeah, it might not be a mining utopia of opportunities, but there's at least something there for people who are interested in furthering the international permaculture movement and cross collaboration between networks. Ah, yes, and and the Permaculture Collab also offers a funding opportunities database, which is free for all to access. And this is coupled with a paid service, which is a grant matching and grant writing service. But if you don't have money to pay for grant writing and matching, then and you only have time, then you can go through the funding opportunities database, which is a free resource, and uh, try to figure out a way to apply for that for yourself if you're not able to pay money to, for someone to help you. And that's also on the perma.earth website and under funding circle, I think. Yeah, no, that's great because uh, I, I didn't know something like that existed. So it's it's good to find these things out. Uh, certainly from my own perspective, the, sort of the reason uh, for sort of getting involved with Vine is that basically that it, it, it's trying to earn a living in permaculture. <laughs> and I feel it's, you. <laughs> so yeah, I, I'm, I'm slowly transitioning away from full-time work. I'm halfway there. It's just now trying, trying to make that transition. So picking up some freelance work <laughs> and getting involved in our networks is, is something I'd definitely be interested in. And, and I think that's fantastic that that exists. Um, particularly a job work because what, what annoys well, slightly irritates me is when I, I go on LinkedIn and look for permaculture jobs it's just volunteer <laughs> yes it's really a struggle I mean uh, we, this is also named as well you know we talk about this quite often like 
how is it that we can pay for everyone's time? And it's been incredibly difficult. I couldn't tell you. So in the collab, we have a mix of uh, freelance paid work, which we get from clients. And then we have a gr the grant money, which goes to more towards teams and projects. But even then we struggle. So we make, uh, if we made an application for half a million, we got half that roundabout. I mean, it's better than nothing, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so you well... can't complain, but if <laughs> well, you have, uh, uh... I don't know, I, if we get, uh -huh. I don't know how much it was now, 120,000 per year, I think the last funding. And that has to be divided between X amount of projects and X amount of people. And in the end, it's not huge amounts of money, right? But if you have one little stipend for a little role here, one, two clients there, they kind of adapt. And I only work three days a week uh, online. I try to spend the rest of my time to further our project here on the ground. So again, really hard work to, and you have to keep going, right? You have to stay positive and keep going. But uh, you're right to name that uh, volunteering trap because it's very easy to fall into it, especially with work that you love doing. So having good boundaries between what can I really volunteer and what do I absolutely have to get paid for is really critical, I think. Yeah, I think it's it's great that you're even starting it. It's it's just turning that needle. It's, it's a good start. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In in my experience, I think I was comfortable volunteering my time and my knowledge uh, in the sense that I also needed practice to you know to do certain things. But it was with the understanding that this is how we're creating something that will yield. Uh, will have a yield. This is something. It's it, it's a permaculture uh, principle. Absolutely. Obtain a yield, and it doesn't have to be like it doesn't have to be material in the sense that okay, you get X amount of, of of value transformed into money at the end of the month or the end of the year. But is it bringing value? So I think uh, different. We were all looking for for work that is paid and uh, paid in a in in accordance with our skills and time spent but and there's also the question of what is what is ethical of course and then there's what is bringing more value to this and is there any way that this value can actually you know you, you mentioned the example from your farm you farm with other people and you split the revenue so yes. there was no guaranteed money there was no guaranteed salary no, <laughs> no everyone endeavor. has to invest Everyone has to invest their time and effort to make that into a success, including uh, harvesting, um, getting the equipment organized and uh, finding a client to sell it to. And this is the same online. There's nothing different. Everyone kind of, it's a kind of startup, <laughs> startup thing where you have to, everyone has to put, pitch in uh, to make it into a success. That could be a mm -hmm. good model for communities too, right? Because, you know, it's very hard if you go into a community expecting already the output without putting anything in, but that's never the case. You always have to put something in. Mm -hmm. But essentially, um, another thing that I'd like to point out is that we're moving away from utopia. The mainstream economy is utopia, where they can simply, banks can simply print out more money and they give everyone the illusion that, okay, you go in that direction because there's wealth, there's value, but sometimes it doesn't really uh, coincide with reality. 
So again, you're, you're setting a very good example, you're setting a precedent and you explaining how these systems work, giving your own, your own feedback, your own, uh, like mentioning your struggle as well and how to think about it. And I think it, it brings an added value and I hope it's encouraging people uh, who are listening and hopefully also watching <laughs> uh, because we release this podcast on different platforms. So hopefully this helps people and also brings the, the conversation forward uh, because we have to name these things. Transitioning from one thing to another, even if it's in mainstream, it takes resources, it takes a lot of things and uh, yeah you're bringing a lot of value and a lot of uh, goodwill to, <laughs> goodwill to, oh, and nothing you know things are not easy like i said nothing is a utopian dream there was a lot of blood uh, bloodshed and tears and desperate times where i thought what the hell have i done <laughs> with my life like i remember talking to my mothers like my mom says you need to really start applying for jobs but because you're running out of money. What are you going to do? I'm not going to lend you any money. I was like, because I'm trying, I'm trying so hard. And, and this trying, it took a lot out of me. And I think to not only to have that kind of self-awareness of where to ask for support as well. So we just have to recognize that for some people, maybe this will never be an option because they don't have enough support. They don't have enough um uh, privilege or social contacts or any any kind of you know the the stuff that really helps you to do that transition and we also have to think about those people and how can we share that privilege a little to make that possible in some way yeah but so, somebody has to be the pioneer somebody has to be someone has to be, to be the in yeah <laughs> so they have to they have to be out there at the front and hopefully Absolutely. that just brings more people behind it and we're setting up these networks and these opportunities for people it means then it's easier for the person behind you. So to oh, me, it's funny. like it's like when you build a garden and you move, you're leaving you're leaving it for whoever comes behind you. Um. So what's next for the uh? What's on the horizon for for yourself and the Eco Lab for the next few years? Any any big plans? Well, yeah. Well, for me personally, I want I would like to finish my diploma this year, hopefully. I'm also doing a soil food web course. Um, I need to finish my microscopy unit, which is I'm finding quite a challenge. I'd never done anything like that before, which is an interesting new horizon to breach. For the farm here, uh, Finca Verde, Finca Verde is looking at um, participating. We're into the first year of doing a research. So we're doing some case study about regenerating the farm in different aspects. So participating in local economy, um, um, optimizing water usage and increasing biodiversity as the farm transitions from a conventional farm into a regenerative agriculture farm. So that's where have a little grant money to do this research and this has kicked off the first year this year so exciting news there because i surely couldn't have funded that myself with my little freelancing and for eco hacker farm the both locations now one in spain and one in germany continue i think the one in germany is not that active right now um, but the one in Spain here is definitely more active and we're looking at organizing some permaculture courses um, as well. And for the International Permaculture Collab is exciting at the moment because obviously we're in the first year of the second round of funding, which will continue. So we're seeing a large influx of people coming into 
the International Permaculture Collab, and we're expanding our communication. So hopefully more and more people outside in the world will get to know about us and we can really exponentially increase the network uh, as well as share our resources. Like I said, the, the funding opportunities database, the, um, which could lead to more funding for other projects, hopefully. And yeah, exciting. It's exciting times, I think, all around. I'm very happy to be involved in permaculture right now, actually, because, you know, there's more and more public awareness about the climate crisis. And I think people are really looking at an alternative way or alternative perspectives. And I think as well, it's our responsibility to showcase that them alternatives and market them and get into the people's consciousness, because that's, uh, we have to be, we have to present permaculture as a solution. Um, basically, because if we don't, if we we have to use all the skills that we have, the market and the web development, social media, to try and present ourselves and actually make it a viable solution. So uh, I think there is there is there's jobs in that as well. I hope so as well. Yeah. <laughs> I hope <laughs> I certainly do. Well, we're seeing a kind of increase in, in visibility, mm. which which is really heartwarming. At least we're not like, you know, a few years ago, I don't know, 10 years ago, nobody knew what permaculture was when I first was doing the course. And even the people who were, who were just getting into permaculture, they think it's all about gardening only. So now I'm seeing a little bit of a shift. You know, we have permaculture speakers um, going to... Convergences like for architects to talk about sustainable buildings. This was unheard of 10 years ago. So, I mean, permaculture has been around since the 70s, and look at how slow the progress really has been. So, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that with this extra spotlight, things start moving a little faster. And, like you said, we need more right livelihood paths. And I think this could be a way, this could be a way for it. And if, if you need us to share anything, if there's anything coming up, We'll, we'll oh, share it. Just, just tag us and we'll share it on and pass it on. And Super. <laughs> I'm sure we'll all be joining the, the, the collab ourselves <laughs> and uh, seeing what Frank can contribute as well. Because uh, it's basically a long, it's a summer, not not the same model as summer. Like we're all investing time and resources and th th no, there's nothing guaranteed at the end of it, but all we can do is invest. We're investing in a project that the uh, no, that hope, hopefully gets more people in the permaculture and learning it. Um, Colleen, have you any last questions there? or? Um, yeah, I just want to thank Amy for uh, for linking so many things. We've had previous guests, we had Rakesh on and, you know, he touched on, on certain things. He's a teacher all across Europe. And now there's other other projects, and I think you talking about all of these and helping us make connections. Again, I find uh, very good value in the time that I spent with you, and I'm really hoping that we're uh, jointly adding more value to the conversation. And what Cormac just said, and you mentioned it as well, like making sure these networks continue to develop. And I love the fact that we're building not necessarily an image because it's not the same mindset but we are showing that these are nature-based solutions and you don't have to call it permaculture it, it, permaculture can work probably with all kinds of uh, sociocracy and local economies and everything and it's about bringing value to to everyone 
a win-win situation. And uh, yeah, thank you for for shedding light on so many things, for sharing your time, your expertise, your experience, your 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 uh, vulnerability. I think that's very very wealthy. Thank you. Thank you ever so much for having me and for the opportunity to showcase all these wonderful projects I'm a part of. And I look forward to collaborating more also with Vine Permaculture. Amy, thank you very much. Helene, I'll leave you to do the outro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, we mentioned it. Thank you. Thank you, Cormac. Thank you, Amy, again. We mentioned it through the weaving and with the weaving of, of the different subjects uh that we need support so this is social media in in some ways we're, we're trying to get our the conversation forward but liking subscribing sharing and you know i'm taking the example from you amy uh you know passing on the information to the people who might need it this really helps everyone move forward and i mentioned earlier you know the gift economy is about moving resources so we need support in the sense not just you know, clicking and, and doing stuff, other people doing for, stuff for us, but hopefully we're, we're showing these models that we're a part of and we're helping develop. And again, we're, we're dependent on other people doing their part and also doing their own projects and hopefully we can get in touch with other people. So yeah, we, we like networking and hopefully this, uh, this brings value. Thanks. See you later. Bye.